It's Matthew 27, and I'll be reading from verse 38 to 54. This details the death of Jesus, and Matthew being Jesus' friend, we can listen to his account. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, in the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For, the, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insult on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw, sorry, were guarding Jesus saw the earthquakes and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now we cross over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, reading verse 14 to 15, and this is an account from another follower of Jesus, Paul. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. May God add his blessing to you today as we share together. 
nine days ago, I was observing the news and was struck by an image uh, of a a sandal. Um, If you know me, I wear a Birkenstock sandal. And um, there was something in this image that just pierced my heart afresh with the the confronting nature of death. And um, as I saw this image, it was nine nine days ago that Afghanistan suffered another local act of terror and a a bombing um, near a Shiite shrine. Um, it was Persian, Persian New Year's, uh, they were celebrating, and it was near the Kabul University. And uh, as I read, read into this, just struck and intrigued by, by, by what had happened, but there was just this image where the, the sandal was front and centre and surrounding it was debris and blood um, and, and other horrible things. And uh, as I sat in that, I was just reminded the importance that um, whilst um, where I live, death isn't a daily reality. Across the world, there, there is incredible darkness. And as we come to Good Friday, um, we need to deal with that. Um, and that's why there's an important part um, of as we remember the Easter story. And it was interesting that just a, a day or two after that, um, I had to get a taxi to and from work getting my car covered by insurance. And both trips um, in a period of five days, um, I had an Afghanistani um, driver. And um, I was, um, yeah, I was, I was wanting to, I guess, um, really make use of that trip. Um, I felt led to try and be intentional with, these, with the, whoever was going to be in the car, um, partly because I always hear cool stories about airplanes and, and buses and, and taxis, um, but partly because I just love Jesus and I hope that and believe that he can bring hope to anyone. And um, as I asked them about their family and about their lives and where they lived and where they, they'd come from, um, it was amazing timing that, that both drivers were from Afghanistan. And they both shared their stories. Uh, they'd lived here over 10 years. They had similar stories, both with different bitterness, different anger, different hurt and pain. Um, and really, it was like they lamented with me for, for 15 minutes. And I just had the opportunity to ask them what life looks like now and, and what it looked like previous. And whilst um, I didn't feel like in that 19-minute trip was the time, um, they, 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 had picked, they dropped me off at a church and they picked me up from a church. So they were, And they, they knew I was a pastor. And so um, I felt that I, I didn't really need to do anything more than, than just listen to them and, and just try and believe that my listening ears could be the presence and love of, of Jesus. Um, but poor Afghanistan, as they said, it's, it's really not safe for them to go back to their hometowns. Um, in the last three months, there's been over 140 um, acts of terror across the, um, the Middle East, and 28 of them have been in Afghanistan um, as I was looking into this and just intrigued into what is happening in, in that country that's in the middle of much of the conflict from the last 10 or 20 years. And I just start with this because for me that helped connect to what we're dealing with today, that, that, that the Son of God gave up his life, that he faced death and darkness. And Good Friday is, is known that we, we look to that. But as we look to Jesus this morning on Friday 2018, we, we again see that Jesus himself faced death. He faced darkness. Yet he is offering light to all of us. And as we look around the world, I'm sure today in your own families, your own workplaces, in your, your own context, the world is crying out for that love, for a, a real deeper encounter with love and understanding and what, what it looks like to walk through this world. 
interestingly, as we come to Jesus' death, we live today in the hope of the resurrection. And we know that, that the story is not uh, a story that ends with despair and, and, and death. And so it's interesting as we, we today look at that, we always look at the cross through now, in our day and age, through the resurrection. And it's really important that we do. Um, or we might fall, out, fall into a place of, of darkness and, and despair. And so as I then uh, reflect this morning and look at where are we living in today? What is this climate, climate that we live in? In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary word of the year was post-truth. In 2017, it was the word of the year in New York. This word post-truth means and has become not our, our it's, it's our new normal. And basically it means that experts have been major, majorly dismissed. Um, facts are, are less influential in shaping opinion, rather appeals to emotional and um, beliefs trump truth. Alternative facts are offered and public figures can often um, pretty much give opinions on anything. And thanks to social media, pretty much anyone can become a public figure. And so in this post-truth day and age that we live in, essentially truth no longer exists. But whatever I believe is true. Whatever you believe is true. And this leaves the church and this leaves anyone that believes in Jesus in a very tough situation Because the message we carry is that there is one truth. That Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And in our Christian faith, in our belief of Jesus, we essentially are saying that everyone else is wrong. And so as you come into contact in your places and families and work and lives, that is the message of truth that we carry into a world that's post-truth. There's no longer absolutes and truth and there's a rebel against it. So what does that look like for us today with this message of Jesus? Not only is it a post-truth society and culture we live in, but it's, it's known as a post-Christian context. Historically, Christianity, since the time of Jesus, became a major majority, a moral majority. But it's now shrinking back into much more of a minority. Society doesn't rely on the public voice of the church um, for almost most things. Christianity used to be central, yet now um, it's seen majorly as irrelevant um, for majority of society. Um, culture has moved from having and believing and respecting authority to they far much more prefer authenticity and individual beliefs and traits and truth. One UK theologian, um, he, he writes that the world has become a blank canvas to provide me with maximum opportunity to become the person that I've always wanted to be. Does that, does that connect to us and the, the world we live in? Everything that you want to be, that's what our life is for. So again, the question is, this Easter, what, what does this look like for us as we turn to the cross of Jesus? And the incredible thing is that as we look to Jesus this Easter, He faced a very similar place that I've just discussed and shared. He faced a world of darkness and a world of disbelief. A world that was against him and against the teachings of the new Christian faith. And so I hope that we can take courage that what we are facing today should not scare us, should not intimidate us. 
But we need to continue to remain and stay strong as the church and, and, and as believers of Jesus. Jesus gave us a promise and he assured us. It's no surprise what we're facing in post-truth and post-Christian um, world we live in. He said, in this world, you will have trouble in John 16 to his disciples. You will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we shouldn't be surprised by what we're facing. And as Australia itself faces this difficult time to stand true to Jesus, there is no greater time for us to stay true to the love of God that sent his son Jesus. And so this morning, um, this message I, I bring comes from the text that, that Jocelyn read from Paul's two lines that he wrote to the church at Corinth in uh, chapter 15, verses 14 to 15. Paul states that Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that Christ died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and raised again. Paul's writing here, Christ's love. The Greek in this love is one of four loves and it's the greatest of the four loves. Agape love. This love that compelled Paul and that's to compel us this morning to move our hearts is an unconditional love that transcends and persists regardless of circumstance and what we're going through. Agape can be defined as the love of God for man and then man's response to God. It's deep, it's relentless, it never ends and it's sacrificial. It's the total gift of self and this was Christ's love. And it's that love that compelled Paul, who writes majority of the New Testament and teaches us today. uh, Paul was a follower of Jesus after Friday, Saturday and Sunday of Easter. And so we learn from Paul and we look at his letters and his writing. And the question I have for us today that I want us to sit in is what kind of love compels us? How does Christ's love, Jesus's love compel you? And how's it going to compel you this year? The word compel means to be forced in a particular direction, to be captivated and held together by something. So Paul, when he was writing this second letter to the church of Corinth, Paul was writing to a church that had had many false teachers come in. They were experiencing some post-truth and they were coming in and saying, no, that's the false gospel. Jesus is is no longer true. Paul, your ministry, it, it stands for nothing. And Paul stands up for his beliefs in ministry and he writes to them and says, no, 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 Jesus is the one truth. It's because of his love that he sent himself, that he sent you his spirit, that he's making you new. He is the one truth and it's his love that died for all. No other love has God shown in this world. No other truth than one man, the son of God who came and gave his life. And that's what compelled Paul. That motivated Paul for everything he did. No wonder for us, what if everything we ever thought, said, and did was compelled by the love of Jesus? Paul writes this second letter basically saying that the love of Christ leaves us no choice. He died for all, and we need to all die. We need to all die for ourselves and to live for others. And Paul lived this incredible life that has built the churches that we continue to build today. And so this morning, as we look at his compelling love, Paul himself said, follow me as I follow Jesus. So how can this love compel us? 
I want to talk through a few ways it can for us this morning. Firstly, as we look to Jesus, who he was in his life this morning, it compels us to humility. A love that compels us to humility. The beauty of humility is that it was a brand new virtue that was not a part of the world until Jesus came. You see, in um, in Greco-Roman culture, those that were admired and adored were those that were great. Those that won everything, those who overcame obstacles, received status, honor, recognition. This is the culture that the Olympic Games came from. It was all about being the best and the biggest, the strongest and the greatest. That was what brought honor. Society itself was divided by status and class and wealth, right down to the slaves. Therefore, for Jesus to come and to walk in the dust and the dirt with the brokenness, was an act of humility that the world had never seen. In fact, Roman citizens, they were not allowed to even be crucified. Crucifixions were saved for slaves. And so it's interesting, when Paul wrote, he actually denounced that he was a citizen of Rome because he was willing to die the death of a slave like Jesus. Paul learnt humility from Jesus. And so back then, greatness was desired, humility unknown. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. No one in that society deliberately humbled himself, but Jesus did. And as his followers in the days after the cross, they were scared because greatness did not look like a death. It did not look like dying on the cross. Jesus had told them, but they struggled to believe it. But in that moment, Jesus redefined greatness and he's redefining it for us today. And I'm convinced as I sat in humility this week that the world is still unsure what humility looks like. It's still crying out that you and me would not live for ourselves, but to humble ourselves and make God look incredible and show his love just like Jesus. Paul wrote that the message of the cross is foolish to those who are dying and do not understand it. But those who have been saved, those who are being saved by the cross, it is the power of God. In this post-truth and post-Christian world, we're back in this place where greatness is still celebrated, where celebrity culture is still celebrated. Individualism, self-authority is still celebrated. And we all fall into that here in Sydney today. But I wonder, what does the humility of Jesus look like in your life? How could Jesus' love compel you to humble yourselves again this Easter? Jesus had no place to lay his head, but he became the primary shaper of architecture. We don't know what Jesus looked like. He was barely ever described, yet he has become the most recognized face in the world. Jesus never wrote a book himself, but he's the most written about person ever. Jesus died alone on that cross, yet people today still die for the name of Jesus 2,000 years later. That is the power of humility. Jesus himself taught the disciples that to follow him, they must deny themselves. In Matthew 16, he says, whoever wants to save their life has to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. For the son of man is going to come to the father's glory with angels and he will reward each person according to what you have done. How is your life being compelled by the love and humility of Jesus? 
Jesus himself denied being fed food after he had encountered the woman at the well. And he said to the disciples, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me, to do the will of Jesus. That's what uh, the will of God, the will of the Father. That's what feeds me. That's what gives my life nourishment. I wonder this Easter, what's nourishing your soul and your heart and your mind? Is it the will of God? Is it heaven's plan for your life? Or are you being nourished by your desires and your footsteps and your home and finance and life? Humility is the attitude of the heart, the mind, and then the actions. He became human. God chose to become human like us so that we could become like him. He left heaven so we could receive it. Humility. Secondly, a love that compels us. It actually compels us to face darkness and death. And it's something we don't always like to confront and face. But actually, Jesus connects, and it's one of the greatest connections for all of us, that Jesus himself faced death and overcame it, and therefore we can look to Jesus. The promise in Revelation is that one day that he died for all, and out of that, every nation, all tribes and all peoples will bow before Jesus one day. And that's where his death was for all of us. It was for every one of us, every culture, every language. That is the power of of God's universal love. A helpful reflection I read was from John Altberg. Um, and he actually writes about Easter Saturday, the forgotten day. A dark day that actually we can all relate to. Saturday. It's not Sunday. It isn't Friday. This is Saturday. The day after this, but the day before that. It's a strange day, this in-between day, in-between despair and joy, in-between confusion and clarity, in-between bad news and good news, in-between darkness and light. Everybody knows Saturday. In fact, we all can connect to Saturday. It's the day that your dream may have died. You wake up and you're still alive. You have to go on, but you don't know how. Worse, you don't know why. Why is there a Saturday? It doesn't seem to further the story at all. If Jesus was always going to be crucified and then resurrected, resurrected, why didn't God get on with it? Everyone can relate to the loneliness of Saturday. When Jesus was born, the heavenly hosts of angels sung and praised God, Emmanuel, God with us. On Saturday, the angels looked down and they saw Jesus dead in a tomb crucified and murdered by the very humanity that he came to save. The miracle of Saturday is that God lay dead. Jesus defeats our great enemy death, not by proclaiming his invincibility or greatness over it, but by submitting himself to it. If you can find this Jesus in a grave, if you can find him in death, if you can find him in hell, where can you not find Jesus? Those are incredible words as I sat the last two weeks reflecting on Saturday. The fact that in all the loneliness and darkness that you and I interact with, we realize that Jesus understands it and he can help us understand the world and speak love and truth into that. Jesus, uh, we heard the reading in Matthew 27, Matthew's recorded Jesus. There on the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Do we understand the depth of those words? Why did you leave me? If you've ever felt distant from God, if you've ever seen someone far away from God, Jesus felt that because he cried out, where are you, God? I am bleeding and dying up here. I'm doing this for you, but where are you? Jesus was separated from God for us and took that what we deserved. He took the judgment. He took the loneliness so that we today could offer hope into any lonely situation. You know, everyone said, what's he crying out for? I can't understand. What's he crying out? I think he's crying out to Elijah. Why did the people think that? Elijah was one of three people to defeat death. Elijah was miraculously lifted up in the Old Testament stories. And Enoch was the second. But Jesus was the third to eventually defeat death. But the difference between Elijah and Enoch is that Jesus both died and then rose again and paved the way for us all in that path. Jesus on that cross was separated from God and he did that for us. We read that there was a darkness over the land. That darkness was during the day, but it was a spiritual darkness because of the separation that Jesus did for us between God. Christ's love that compels us is a love that compels us to humility, but it also compels us to face darkness and death. And thirdly, Christ's love compels us to agape, to sacrificial love. The English, we use the word love for for all sorts of things. It's so hard to understand Christ's love when we think about the way we use love. But agape love. Augustine writes, to be human is to love. We're all cast into love. We're born and destined to love. We all love to love. It's our nature to love. We can choose what to love, but we cannot choose whether to love. The question is, are we going to love ourselves more than our lives love God? That's the kind of Christ love that compelled Paul. One of my favorite books is The Four Loves by C.S. Lewis. And he describes a garden that needs a lot of love and care and sacrifice. I'm not a gardener. Um, The only plant that I've ever bought or received uh, is this bonsai plant. Um, You can tell if I put it close to a light. It's it's got now this autumn tinge. That's not because it's autumn. That's because it's been dead for three years. (laughs) And I watered it and cared for it and I looked it up, how to feed it and guide it. And I did that for about eight days. (laughs) And it's now been sitting in my home as a symbol of death. But what C.S. Lewis teaches us is that The kind of love, the kind of agape love is like a garden. If you don't care for a garden, it will soon become wild, like the wilderness. The same with a little bonsai plant. needs a lot of pruning and nourishing and caring. I can't even remember what I had to do for it. But it involved time, diligence, discipline and sacrifice. Agape love. Time I, I wasn't willing to give. And that's the kind of love that we're called into by Jesus. That's the kind of love that on the cross selflessly Jesus gave up his human life. He suffered and and went through pain for us. In the reading from Matthew in chapter 27, we read about the darkness. An earthquake came over the land, but then we read that the curtain was torn in the temple, the religious hub of, of life. And that curtain that was torn was known to be 18 meters high, higher than this building. 
It was known to be 18 centimetres thick. And once a year, the high priest would go behind that curtain. And he was the only one that could connect to the presence of God. And he would make a sacrifice and ask for the atonement of sins for all people that was deserved. No one else could commune to the presence of God other than the high priest to deal with the sin of the people. That curtain was torn in two as Jesus gave up his spirit and his last breath. And that symbolized that we all now have access to the presence of God, to the forgiveness and the Holy Spirit that now frees us from sin, takes away our judgment. The breath of Jesus that he gave up on the cross now lives in those who believe and have faith in the cross and life and resurrection of Jesus. That was an incredible symbol as the veil and the curtain was ripped for all of us to step into God's presence and love. I'll never forget the sacrificial love um, almost a year ago. Um, I was at an event and a 15-year-old young man from about 20 metres away came across the whole room and asked to pray for me. Uh, He had a word of encouragement for me. Uh, He had a picture that God had given his mind and he, he boldly shared that with me. And he took the risk of the embarrassment or perhaps it wouldn't be right. And he came to me, put his hand on me and he prayed with me and I ended up having tears as the picture and the encouragement and the word took me back to God's love and the sacrifice he made for me and the forgiveness he he gave to me. I wonder what kind of sacrifice and discipline and time is, is God calling you into? I love seeing young people step out. And my prayer is that all of us this Easter and this year would step out into humility, into facing darkness and death and into facing Are we really sacrificing and stepping into the sacrificial love of Jesus? If we could step into those three, Christ's love that compels us this morning, I want to suggest it needs to compel us to a response. Good Friday is about a response of our hearts and then our actions. The life we live is not about us. Our life is not a blank canvas about us becoming the person that we've always wanted to be. The message of Jesus is that God created you with a specific purpose. Jesus died for you to fill your life with his forgiveness and his presence to use you to help and care for the darkness in the world. Jesus didn't want to just do something for you, but he wants to do something through you. Easter Friday reminds us that he did something for us, but we live in Easter Sunday and the resurrection that Christ wants to do something through us. And so I wonder, does Jesus's love compel you to think this morning and and, and into a life that you do something for him? The great mother Teresa said that I am a little pencil in the hand of a writing God who is sending a love letter to the world. Or perhaps, you know, an old story of the little girl with her teacher. The teacher went up to her and said, Little girl, what what are you painting? And the little girl said, I'm painting a picture of God. And the teacher said, but no one knows what God looks like, said the teacher. The little girl responded, after I'm done, they will. Imagine if our lives were like that. Imagine if people could see the forgiveness and the love and the presence and the humility of Jesus in you and through you. Humble, costly, 
difficult, small acts of God's love. The courage to overcome death and darkness, to lead others who are suffering, who are in dark and lonely places. You can step in there humbly, sit with them, listen to them, perhaps pray for them, perhaps take a risk. And finally, how are you sacrificing like Jesus? Your time, your money, your finances. How does that worship look like? That is who the sacrificial love of Jesus points us to this morning. That is the kind of love that I believe Christ is compelling us as a church at Dural and the message for us this Easter. This weekend to begin and step into that.